Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, the pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida, Josh King, the pastor of Saxe's Church in Saxe, Texas, and me, Micah Fries, the pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're glad you're here. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of EST, the podcast for those of you who lead and love the established church. We have Josh King here with us today, as well as a special guest, and we're excited about this. Uh, we have my father, Tom Rayner, uh, president of Lifeway Christian Resources, who's going to uh, help us out a little bit in understanding some things of the established church. And I'm Sam Rayner, um, co-host here with Josh. We are uh, we're saddened that Micah can't join us today. I guess he's um, what's he doing, Josh? Is he on vacation or something? No, he's getting ready. You know, we should all be praying for him. He's actually getting ready for uh, his trip to Africa. Uh, he's taking care of all of that, is my understanding. Is that not correct? I think so. Yeah, yeah. He's going to Africa, and uh, he is adopting a kid. So I think that's where he is. He could be on vacation, um, but we'll pray for him either way. He may be taking vacation days Maybe to, so. Maybe so. to do this. All right, yeah. well... We can certainly be praying for him. All of you listeners out there, you can be praying for Micah. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we do have my dad here, Tom mm-hmm. Rayner. And one of the things that I thought that I would ask him, and Josh, you can chime in at any point, um, but uh, since dad's known as a bit of a prognosticator, I thought I would ask him, you know, what do you think a healthy church will look like in 10 years? First thing that I have to state, Sam is uh, and Josh, first of all, I'll say thank you for letting me be here. But the first thing I would state is this. Uh, I'm old. I'm I'm an old fellow. And so as an old fellow of 61 years old, I go back to, depending upon your context and evangelicalism, to the conservative resurgence or sometimes called the battle for the Bible. And so when we start talking about what a healthy church is going to look like 10 years from now, we have to begin foundationally. And it might be presumed by the audience that is listening to this. But we begin with the foundational issue, and the foundational issue is very simply this. The healthy church will always be a biblically-based church. It will not stray from Scripture. It will affirm the totality of the truthfulness of Scripture, and it will be a church that believes in Scripture. Now, the listeners may have expected me, because of my background, to come right out with some maybe pragmatic or practical issues, but I want to frame it in that regard, because once you get away from the foundational issues, you can stray in any one direction. So, first of all, whether it's an established church, a new church, or any type of church, we begin with those foundational issues. Now, then you say, what will be the priorities of this church 10 years from now? If, if you are in a pastor of an established church and you're saying, I want my church to be as healthy as possible, we believe the word, we believe in the foundation of the truth of the word, what are some things that will happen? Now, this first element is going to seem, and it might be second or first after the foundational, this first element may be seem so elementary and obvious, I don't even need to state it, but I will state it because, again, this was a hotly debated issue when uh, I was uh, coming along in the 80s. And this issue is this. It is the priority of evangelism. Quite simply, a church either makes evangelism its priority or there is rarely evangelism that is taking place. So a healthy church 10 years from now will be a church that said, 
we are going to, in whatever our context, our community, wherever we may be, we're going to make certain that sharing the gospel, and I'm not talking about a particular methodology, but we're talking about sharing the gospel is going to be among our priorities. And so a healthy church 10 years from now will be a church that has made evangelism the priority in the practice of the church. That begs the next question then. The next question is, how do we make evangelism a priority of the church? Well, I've said on many different occasions that I believe with all my heart that if you're not praying for evangelistic opportunities, if the church is not focusing on prayer, then the evangelistic opportunities are likely not to happen. So a church. Let me let me. I think that one of the questions that would come up in that is as a pastor and other pastors, I'm sure are listening are are wondering. So we're we're a biblical church. I think one of the things I struggle with, uh, Dr. Rayner, is is my primary responsibility as the pastor to preach or to disciple? And sometimes I feel like guys feel like they're one way or the other and they're they're weak in the other. Is there should we make one, even if it's not maybe our strong suit, the main thing we worry about? Okay, Josh, you're talking specifically about discipleship versus evangelism, our time in preaching discipleship and our evangelism. I, Give me clear. Kind of like where, where you talk about the Bible being the main, uh, you know, our basis of the Bible with the conservative resurgence and that sort of stuff. Uh, is my, I guess what I'm asking, since I, since I occupy that role that gets to speak behind the pulpit every week, is mm-hmm. my primary responsibility the congregational teaching that I do, or is it the one-on-one teaching that I do discipleship? Uh, I, I really don't think that you can get away with the dichotomy according to Scripture. Mm. According to Scripture, you're going to have the primacy of the preaching of the Word, and according to Scripture, you're going to have the primacy of prayer and the primacy of one-on-one, both evangelism and discipling. Mm. Uh, when you get to Acts 6-4, Josh, it becomes very clear after they are dealing with the issue with the widows and, and the daily distribution of food, they then begin to say, and we will turn our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Some of the translations say preaching of the word, a ministry of the word. The issue is here that it is not specified. And but in different parts of Scripture, you have Paul being a one on one discipler. You have Paul exhorting Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. And so throughout there to try to create some type of false dichotomy, it's kind of like asking, uh, do I date my wife or, 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 or do I spend time with my wife and talking to her at home? Mm-hmm. Now, that, that may not uh, be a good analogy there, but the answer is yes, you do both. And so when pastors try to get into that mode of that dichotomy, then what they are doing is they are going to err one way or the other. And so they may spend way too much time in the study of the word. And that sounds like almost blasphemous for me to say spending too much time, but too much time in your study. And they won't spend enough time out there, outside of their study. Or if they go the other extreme, they won't be spending enough time preparing in the word. And they will not, and they will always be outside doing things. Mm-hmm. So but to, Back to what I was talking about, you've got this priority of evangelism. How does it play out? Well, we're looking at a lot of churches right now that are beginning to kind of come out of the uh, doldrums of evangelism. And one thing that we are seeing in this is that they are really focusing upon, and I know, Sam, you recently blogged about this, they're focusing upon lead metrics and not just lag metrics. And lead metrics 
Well, lag metrics would be how many people have we reached for Christ? What is our attendance level now? They're asking the question now, what do we need to do in order to get to that point? How many people do we need to share the gospel with? Not one sense, any sense of the word taking away from the sovereignty of God, but what type of great commission obedience do we need to do regularly in order to see these types of things happen? We're seeing more and more churches, for example, say in the course of a year, for example, we will uh, have shared the gospel or invited 1,000 people to church. Now, again, that's not a magical formula, but it does prompt us to be accountable to ourselves and to others for the fact that we are going to be sharing the gospel in the community and we are going to be inviting people to church. So say I'm back to the original issue, Josh, back to the original issue. What is a healthy church going to look like? And then I'm going to pause. One, it's going to believe in the foundational issues of the word of God. Two, it is going to have a priority of evangelism. Three, it's going to have very clear mechanisms, lead metrics, where churches and leaders and members will be able to exercise that Great Commission obedience, what we call lead metrics. Hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think the foundational issues, you say, well, they go without saying, but you really do need to say them. Um, because I think sometimes we can forget that, hey, you know, biblically-based churches are what should remain and they will be the ones that are healthy. And obviously we need to be about the business of the gospel. We need to be evangelizing. But but I think one of the things that often gets lost um, in leadership, because you get caught up in the, the busyness of the moment, are those lead metrics. So um, just for the sake of, of clarity, you know, uh, you know, we're kind of near the beginning of the year at this point. Um, you know, a lot of people said they want to lose weight. Right. You know, that's a pretty common uh, New Year's resolution. I've so, lost 5,000 pounds. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes, you have. I've gained 5,020. <laughs> so uh, I want to lose 20 pounds is a lag metric. That, that's It's performance-based. You know, this is what I want to do. That's the what. It's the final result. It's the final result. The lead metric is how do I get there? So I'm going to exercise three times a week and not consume X amount of you know, calories that I have been consuming or cut out sugar or whatever it is. That's a lead metric. And so I think that it's important that, you know, as churches consider their programs and their ministries and what they're doing, I, I do think healthy churches focus as much on the lead metric as they do the lag metric. They're both important. Um, but, you know, I, I want the church to grow by 10% is a wonderful lag metric, but how are you going to do that? Um, that's the lead metric. Well, let me ask so, you guys, the, um, one of the questions I have, and I, I see this a lot, and sometimes I get bogged down in this too. I, let's say I want to be faithfully biblical. I want to lead the church to be biblical, and I think that is the basis. So how, I guess this will sound real bad, how biblical, how perfectly biblical does the church have to be as I'm, you know, I see a lot of pastors, they get so worked up. For instance, um, our, our pastors who have a commitment or a conviction on elder-led, they're going to go to seat on that thing until until they've settled that issue in their head. And I even, I even know some that won't go to maybe a committee-led church because, and I've heard them say, well, that's unbiblical. And, and so what would you say to the guy, how biblical does it need to be or, or how nitpicky should we get on that sort of stuff? I remember when Sam, Sam's, what are you, 36 now? 
36. So I re- I remember when Sam was, let's see, this was 1985, so Sam was five years old. I knew a story was going to come in here. Well, <laughs> I was hoping. Knew it was gonna, here it comes. I, I have no idea what he's going to say. I, I, but but I taught Sam the fundamentals of the faith. And, and I, I, uh, he may not have known, and I don't think he did know, exactly what he was parroting back to me. But I wanted him to know the fundamentals of the faith. The fundamentals of the faith, of course, are the truthfulness of Scripture, the exclusivity of salvation through Christ, the virgin birth, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And, of course, I didn't put it in those ways to, to a five-year-old, the, 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 the literal return of Christ. But I said, Sam, these are the things that are important. And I got him in a way that he memorized them and could repeat them. But obviously a five-year-old probably not the most theologically receptive at the time. But my point was this. Here are the things that are critical. These are the first circle issues. These, these, these are the core issues. And then you start getting beyond that. I, I have a Baptistic theology in the sense that my theology holds to immersion baptism. But I, that to me would be a secondary issue. It would not be a fundamental issue. It would be, it would be an issue where I would say I will still fellowship with a Presbyterian brother or sister, even though they have a different view of the mode of baptism. So for me, I want to say I am focusing my efforts, my energy, my emotion on those core issues, on those first level issues. And then as you begin to get further from those, I will not be as, uh, as you said, Josh, as nitpicky and as worried about those issues. I would, if, if I'm, I'm not about to go to a church at my age and, and start all over to church uh, as a pastor, but if I were, I would have absolutely no problem going to a committee church if I were a, even convicted that uh, the elder form of government is the way to do it, because I know, first of all, that's not primary, and secondly, I know that eventually. I could lead a church toward more of my convictional stance. And so would I go to a church that uh, has a clear doctrinal statement that Christ is not the only way of salvation? No, I would not. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, is such a, that is such a violation of the core issue. But I would go to some of these churches that may have a tertiary issue, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not necessarily a secondary issue, but a third or tertiary issue. So that's where I land when it's all said and done. And Sam, did you remember the fundamentals of the faith from when I taught them to you? Yes. Yes. That's a good answer. <laughs> good job, Pastor. That's good. Um, the I think you you hit on something real um, real great there. I was noticing today we we kind of are are doing this thing. We'll talk about it a little bit more, but we're get, gaining some information from our listeners. And I found out there's a good percentage. It's not right here in front of me. A good percentage of our listeners are not lead pastors, but are full time ministerial staff. So I found that to be real interesting. I'm assuming that they are going to one day be a lead pastor. Perhaps maybe that's an interest of theirs. Uh, I've heard this said a lot, and when we're talking about the health of a church, when a pastor is is, is going into a church, um, I've heard the advice of, you ought not take a church with the plan to lead them in a different direction. For instance, like the elder letter. Let's say in, in, in Texas we still have sort of some of the um, the political fallouts from the conservative resurgence. And so some of the churches are not necessarily inheritist. So let's say um, I'm an inheritist. I'm going to take a church that's not. What do you feel the advice when leading a church towards health? Is that honest or dishonest when I'm taking a church to take a church knowing I'm going to lead them in a different direction than what they believe? I sound, I almost sound redundant on this. And, and 
the the reason behind that it would it would be what is the issue Mm. and uh if if the issue was i was going to a church that did not affirm the total inerrancy of scripture the truthfulness of scripture i don't even know if i would entertain the possibility of going there because one of the first things i have to deal with is that they do not hold to a core conviction so I wouldn't even think about going to a church to change it from a from a non-inheritance position to an inheritance position. Mm. If I were to go to a church and I had an elder conviction, or if I had a if I if I had a conviction maybe that was even tertiary, like eschatology or something like that, and I felt like it was important for them to know, I might go but not make that an issue on the front end and just simply see if the opportunity is right, if the attitude is right, if the receptivity is right, and leave it as an open issue in my own mind or my own heart, but not necessarily go in with a preconceived plan, but not telling the church. Mm-hmm. I think if we go in with any really earth-shattering preconceived plans, we need to go in with honesty and transparency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're stuck on something and you know it, and, and you know that you are just firm on a particular ter- tertiary issue— what the advice I would give to that person is, hey, just be honest with the church and tell them that mm-hmm. um, and just say, yeah, I am elders is my thing. You know, you guys are committee led, uh, but I, I am very firm on elders. And if you call me, I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to lead us in this direction. Um, and then you'd put that back on the church and just let them make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I would caution anybody that's going into a church that has some pieces of it that are completely opposed to where you stand. Because you know you're going to have issues, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know you're going to go in and 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 fight that uh, to some degree. Uh, but uh, yeah, if it's a if it's a secondary issue and certainly a tertiary issue, for me, um, it's not as as big a deal as say a primary issue like the exclusivity of Christ. That that to me would be a complete deal breaker. Hey, uh, do you do you guys mind if I pull us back just a little bit to future issues? Mm-mm. Yeah, I, I was I was going to do a little exercise, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you're the you're the you're the expert. You're the genius. You're the yeah. one who taught me everything I know. So yes, oh boy, me too. Crazy. Uh, we're we're talking about the future of healthy churches ten years from now. Let me just let me just talk about some future issues that may or may not be directly related to health, but I think are issues that are unfolding. Uh, ten years from now, I have little doubt that a typical worship size is going to be as as much as fifty percent smaller than it is today. Uh, and here's what I mean. I'm not talking about total attendance in a church, but I'm saying if a church uh, has one service and it's running 300 uh, and the church 10 years from now is still running 300, it'll probably have two 150 attendance uh, services. Uh, a church is going to likely go. Many churches are likely going to go multi-site or multi-campus or multi-venue and therefore spread out their attendance over different times, venues and sites. So one of the future trends that is becoming increasingly clear, and whether it is related to health or not, is the fact that the millennial generation in particular seem to be going more and more to the smaller worship venue. So as a result, that has all types of both intended consequences and unintended consequences. You'll also see a number of churches go into building programs to actually downsize their worship center. Sam and I were recently at a, doing a consultation where that looked like that was probably going to be one of the issues that would have to have to come forth. So that is a future issue. Again, I don't know if it's related to health or not, but it's something that uh, we're definitely keeping our own. Another issue that is related to health beyond a shadow of a doubt with me is the emphasis on groups. 
Uh, this statistic has been pretty steady for the last oh, 10 years or so. And it is this, that someone in a group or Sunday school class is five times more likely to stick with the church over five years than someone who attends worship alone. That is one, just one of the benefits of members going to a group or to a class. Another one is this. Someone who is in a group or a class is more likely to give, or let me put it another way, will give 70% more than someone who is in a worship service alone. Our pastors, particularly in established churches, are discovering this reality, and they now are becoming the leaders and the cheerleaders for groups and for Sunday school classes to make sure that they are highly intentional about getting moving their people in the discipleship process to go into groups. So on the theme of future, Sam and Josh, I just wanted to mention those two. I'm not certain where the worship size is related to health. I do have a conviction that this emphasis on groups or Sunday school classes is definitely related to health. So, so let me ask you this. Um, if worship size is getting smaller, yep. for whatever reason or however that gets fleshed out, whether it's a smaller church or multi-site church, to me, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here because you're pretty good at that, um, <laughs> um, I'm assuming that two things will happen here. The campus pastor position is going, be, is going to become much more important. The campus pastor position is the fastest growing position right now over any other position in terms of percentage growth. So that's going to be a critical area of church health. You're going to have to have healthy campus pastors. And two, I'm assuming that bivocational ministry is going to become even more important. Bivocational ministry at several different levels, uh, particularly at the staff level. More and more churches are going to have bivocational worship leaders, bivocational student leaders, bivocational children's ministers with intentionality simply because they cannot either afford or desire to uh, have every campus fully staffed with these uh, with, the, with the multiple site systems. So uh, bivocational will become more and more common, and we'll probably see more bivocational pastors as well in the mm-hmm. midst of it. So that's a major trend, too. Let me do a follow-up on that other factor with the, the groups. I completely agree on that. I think that's a huge emphasis. It needs to be a huge emphasis in our church. Do you see any variation in those statistics with whether or not it would say, let's say it's a strict Sunday school model versus a small group model? We have small groups here, but they all meet on campus for the most part the hour before our worship service. And so sometimes people are like, well, that's a Sunday school. Well, the mentality is much different than a traditional. We have two that are Sunday schools. They have officers. They take the, They have their own budgets. I don't even know what they spend in there. Um, but how do you, do you see a difference in that? Or So if we if there's a pastor listening right now and their church has Sunday schools, is, is that something he should be, he or she should begin to change or, or not? Not necessarily. Uh, first of all, uh, the, the presence of a group is a measure of health in my mind. Mm. I understand that there's some, some groups that can be unhealthy, but whether it's a Sunday school class, community group, small group, uh, discipleship group, whatever the nomenclature may be, just the presence of a group is a healthy sign. Here, here, here's an ongoing reality, and it may change over time, but if you have ongoing, if, um, if you have on campus groups, whether it's Sunday school, or Josh, in your case, you call it something differently because it has a different flavor to it. The percentage of attendance relative to the number of worship is usually 50% or higher. If it is off campus, 
the percentage attendance relative to worship attendance is usually 25% to 50%. So simply stated, an on-campus group will likely have twice the participation as an off-campus. There's a pragmatic reason behind that, and it's usually childcare. Mm-hmm. A, a secondary reason behind that is convenience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go to our group, and then we're going to go to our worship service or vice versa. So do you suggest, so I've seen a lot of churches, they'll have the on-campus groups, whatever they call them. They, they tend to lean a little bit more towards the Bible study. And then they have what I call these supplemental groups. They'll have these extra groups that meet throughout the weekend. And really what ends up happening is you're asking the member to be a part of three different things and then serve another time. So that's why we lean away from the supplemental groups. But um, is that a necessity? Is, is that part of this group conversation or, or do they combine? Is it, again, just a group? Getting them into a group is the main thing. Yeah, the, the latter statement is what I would say. I think in an ideal scenario, a lot of churches would like to say we have a discipleship group, we have a fellowship group, we have an evangelistic-based group, uh, we have a group that is content-driven, we have a group that's relational-driven, and all of those are good. The, the The fact of the matter is, if you're trying to get people to attend more than one group, uh, especially more than one group a week, uh, you're you're really trying to paddle uphill or up uh, up the water, up the stream, because uh, that is just not the path that most church members are willing to go. If you can get a church member into worship service once a week, into a group once a week, and serving in some capacity on an ongoing basis, you have a very active and involved church member. Hmm. And to push it beyond that for the for a typical church member is a challenge that I would not recommend to most of the pastors and staff who are listening to your podcast. Hmm. That sounds like a, a simple model. That that sounds very simple. Easy to easy to understand. I'm a big fan. Well, there's, there's there's something about simple church that just appeals to me. I like and that. Somebody should said, I should I play the Jonathan Howe role and say available at lifeway.com? Yeah, lifeway <laughs> or anywhere. Anywhere. Uh, so one last follow up on that and I'm just thinking of the pastor that's listening to this or the future pastor that's listening to this. I was involved with a church that actually had groups and I would stretch that word quite a bit there. They had a a yoga group they had a a motorcycle you're, you're stretching group. did yeah. you say you're stretching that stretching stretch no pun intended uh I, I we're assuming we're making the assumption that these groups are are somewhat oriented around scripture around christ right it, that's oh yeah the I, I would call here. them biblically yeah. based and even okay. if it's not hard content driven uh it is still has comes within a biblical framework uh, I, I would not count any of these extra uh, outside the church type of activities as a group of the church. Okay. All right. Well, I think we're up against the time. Sam, do you have any follow-up comments on that? No, I, I am not going to challenge my father on, on anything, <laughs> uh, particularly on my own podcast. That, I, right. I, awesome job, Dad. Yeah. Awesome job. We are— well, I, as we're recording this, we have not yet had the uh, the college football championship. Any uh, any uh, wagers on that? How that's going to end up? Well, uh, when is this podcast going to air? Next Tuesday. Uh, so it'll be on on the, on the day of the. Is that the day of the championship? No, that's the day after the. the day it'll be the day. We'll air on the day after. So mm-hmm. what? Who who wins, Dad? What? You're, you're the prognosticator. You're the one who knows the future. Yeah. Tell us who wins and what the score is. Well, of course, most people know I'm a. 
Alabama fan. Most people think I'm a rabid Alabama fan. <laughs> the reality of it is I don't enjoy victories. I'm just relieved when we have them. I don't have joy. I have relief. And so I hope Alabama beats Clemson. But you know what? If there's any team that I would take some satisfaction in beating Alabama, it would be Clemson because I like Dabo and I like the team. So, Dad, uh, I've graduated from the University of South Carolina. What are you doing to me? Uh, mm. I like Clemson. I like Dabo. Oh, my goodness. And and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think Saban will pull it out. But, hey, Alabama beat Auburn this year, and that's really all that matters. There you go. Well, uh, to close this out, we just want to plug the EST kit. We have a new resource on our Twitter. It's pinned right there to the top. So make sure that you are following us, of course, at EST Church. But also, make sure that you go ahead and download that resource kit there. What you're going to find is a free online uh, spreadsheet. And on one side, one tab there, you have uh, sort of the metrics, a very simple, easy to pull up. You can pull it up on your phone, desktop. You can share it and uh, corroborate or collaborate, whatever that word is, where you're working with other people. Corroborate. Corroborate. You can probably spell it, too. I can't even say it. Um, but you can work with other people, kind of chart your attendance, all of that lag metrics that you need. Second tab there is, uh, is their preaching schedule already filled out and, and both of them are smart. So you, you know, you enter your number here, it averages it over there. Some great stuff there. That's free on the, um, on the Twitter there. You can get that. A couple of, uh, folks have already grabbed that pastor Ryan Hayden in Mattoon, Illinois. I don't know where you live, brother, but I'm glad you're listening. And Luke Smith in Kokomo, Indiana. Kokomo just sounds like a great place to go. Uh, yeah, I used to uh, Kokomo's great. I used to live in Indianapolis, so it's all good. Way down to Kokomo. <laughs> I think that's great. So, we are so glad that you guys are listening. Tune in next week and uh make sure that you are rating and reviewing us on iTunes and we'll see you later. Thanks so much.